podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni's 1985 album, The Politically Awoken, the synth-pop-filled, the uh, critically hated (laughs) Dog Eat Dog. Woo! Dog Eat Dog. No? Come on, guys. Where's the Dog Eat Dog love out there? Wow. So this really is one of those episodes that I have been dreading, but also looking forward to filming for a while now, because I feel like a lot of people are curious, or I mean, that's very, uh, that's very bold of me to assume that a lot of people would be curious, but in my head, a lot of people are curious about what my opinions on this album would be, because it is such a controversial one. I would say that this is an album that is so divisive for a lot of Joni fans, probably because the sound is just so unlike anything Joni had ever done before. But also, I think because of the lyrics on the album, kind of the spirit behind what this album is a is about, or what kind of a woke is that's in this album. That's kind of a bad way to explain it, but you know what I mean. And so, yeah, there's just so much going into it, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, what will not be surprising to people that I feel like know my Joni opinions is that I actually really, really like this album. Um, I think this album is so much better than people give credit to. I was shocked that this album was on a uh, Rolling Stones. It was like great artist worst albums, and this was an album that they had on it. And I just, I could not understand why, because I think it's so good and the lyrics on it when we get to the to the lyrics of like specific songs it's honestly kind of crazy the like prophetic eye that she has <laughs> I mean that yeah like the way that she was able to foresee or how current things that she talked about are still today is just well it's sad in one way because you would hope that things would get better over time but it's also just so interesting I would say people's biggest turnoff from the album is the music, just the 80s kind of hyper pop sound. But I actually really think the synths are interesting. And I think that they provide a new sound for Joni that she was looking for at this time. And yeah, I I actually don't have really as many problems as many other people do with it. I think it's unique, fun, and it's an interesting little place to go in her discography I know I saw her doing an interview one time where she said where the interviewer asked I think this was in like 1991 or something he had asked what do you consider like a Joni Mitchell album you know based on all of your albums what would you consider and she said well you know everyone's opinions on what a Joni Mitchell album is different some people would say Court and Spark is some people would say Blue is Uh, a lot of people said Mingus was a Joni Mitchell album and then she ended it with saying not many people seem to say Dog Eat Dog is one of a Joni Mitchell album, but, you know, that changes over time. And she's so right, because I actually think if you were to look at some of the message that Joni sends throughout her whole career that has an underscoring of, like, political activism in it, this album fits very in line with her views and things like that. I mean, Big Yellow Taxi is kind of a softer version of some of the things she talks about on here. So, you know, that's just something interesting. So let's kind of talk about... What sparked this album? What court and sparked this album to come to fruition? Um, also, I'd say this album peaked at number 63 on the U.S. Billboard charts, which is really disheartening. You all really let her down. Why did you guys let this album flop? I'm talking to you 
80 year old Joni stands. You guys really, you gay men did not really go out and do it for her the way you should have, because this was a dance explosion that y'all should have gotten into. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so this album was sparked out of a new political awakening that Joni had had during the kind of early mid eighties, because at this time period, hmm, I'm try- I tried to decide earlier before the episode, how much I wanted to talk about eighties politics and, in companion with this album and i think it's important to talk about a a large portion of it but i won't go too kind of too intense into the actual political side because i know that can get frustrating or boring to some people but basically the 80s were a big turning point in america because during the late 70s there was high inflation america seemed to be in this very confused place and as we get into the 80s um president the president that was elected was Ronald Reagan. He gets into office and he is a Republican. And suddenly these ideas of this new wave of Republicanism started morphing with this ultra conservative Christian viewpoint. And these two views started morphing into one. And so this line of church and state was getting blurred more and more. And it was entering the White House, these very conservative Christian views entering Republicanism ideas about politics and it just started creating kind of a mess in terms of freedom of speech or the way people viewed our government officials, the way the power that people like televangelists, which started coming around at this time, they started to be less about the evangelist part and more about the actually promoting a political cause part. Um, You could talk about things that Reagan did in terms of the environment, or you could talk about, I mean, there's all sorts of things, other things going on at this time. You know, the Amazon rainforest is being torn down, Uh, still being torn down, sadly, but that's just, you know, one thing that was starting to go on more and more. Um, There were these ads on TV about poverty in other places, kind of this wider spread idea about what's going on around the world. And one of these places would be Ethiopia, and the starvation going on there, people that couldn't get basic human resources, I think it's still an issue. And those, I mean, all these images, whether it's the political stuff with the Reagan era, um, she calls them the Regans. I don't, I think it's the Canadian accent, but she says Regans. It's very interesting. Anyways, um, so there's that stuff. Then we have the stuff with televangelism and things going on with the the Christian church, I wouldn't say specifically the Catholic church, kind of more, I don't know, I always think of like Southern Christian viewpoints more, were kind of becoming more dominant, but those were starting to become more in effect in culture. And then we also have these environmental and climate issues going on. And it's a time where America started becoming, because I should say Reagan's economy started booming when he got into office And so suddenly Americans had more money than they had had in the past decade. And they're able to start spending and buying and buying. And we start seeing things like, you know, like these like big supermarket chains and these wholesale, you know, retail clothing stores with cheap and a lot of clothes, these fast fashion. And it's it's buy, 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 you know, (laughs) consumerism at its finest starting more and more. And all of these things, I think, accumulated to Joni just becoming very angry and very concerned about where the world was heading. I think she had this idea that we are becoming subverted to a bad place that if we don't change, we're just going to end up in total chaos and anarchy. And uh, here's to say that I don't know if we really ever got out of that place. (laughs) I don't know if really today we even... We're, yeah, we're definitely, I would say it's actually interesting. I think that the 2020s emulate a lot of the 1980s. Something about the culture has a very similar feeling, and I can't explain it, but I'm sure maybe as I get more into the songs, it'll kind of come out there. But anyways, so Joni's music started switching from We're on Wild Things. We were in this place all about love and you know, falling in love because she's at this point married with Larry Klein. They're kind of a few years into their marriage. And so she's a, she's supposed to be happy in her marriage and her music. And suddenly this political awakening that's occurring in her, that's making her very angry, kind of bleeds out into her music and into her painting. Um, in her painting, she started doing these very graphic I mean, they're very 80s inspired, I'd say, but they're very, very graphic and metallic and bold art that's kind of 
Jackson Pollocky in some forms. There's some abstract qualities to it, but there's these reoccurring images of dogs, vicious dogs in the images that she's creating in her paintings. Um, kind of referring to the album title, Dog Eat Dog, because she was seeing the world kind of becoming this place where people are doggy dog or willing to harm or kill another just to get ahead, just to get the new thing, just to become higher in society and all these, it's just this amoral acts of culture. We're starting more and more and it's just, and that's bleeding into what she's thinking about in her art and also not just her painting, but in her music these political ideas started coming out. And that's sort of where I think a lot of people are turned off by this album is they think that the politics of it make it not enjoyable. But sometimes art is not meant to be comfortable and the lyrics aren't meant to be super happy. They can be contemplative. They can be angry. And they can be discussing what's going on. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's many albums that talk about politics that people regard well that... Like, I think of um, the Marvin Gaye album, What's Going On, actually. That's a good example. And that is an album that people today look at with such reverence and such... It's such a masterpiece of an album, which it is. But that album isn't condemned for talking about politics, yet this one is. It's just... It's weird. Or how Pink Floyd has albums that are political. Like, uh, The Wall is a political album, yet people regard it as a very high work of art. So why when Joni decides that she wants to talk about something other than her personal feelings and her relationships and she wants to look more outwards on the world, why is she condemned for that? Or, you know, why do people say that this album isn't good? I don't know. I don't agree with that. But see, I'm getting angry now, too. I'm joining her anger. So also another thing that shifted, not just from her writing or her painting, you know, is the music sound. So on Wild Things, we were... Definitely getting into the synths were starting and there was some rock and roll elements with like the police and U2 kind of influencing her sound. But this album brings in Thomas Dolby and Larry Klein as big producers for the album. And these synth keyboards and like technological pop sounds started kind of flooding into the music more and more to where this album is not acoustic at all. I think this really, well, hmm. I don't know if Wild Things... Did it have an acoustic song? I guess maybe Chinese Cafe had some, like, the beginning was piano. But, I mean, this album has nothing acoustic on it at all. Everything has a synth, has a synth drum, has a rock guitar. It's it's just, it's completely different. It's such a different sound. Some people say it's a dated sound, but... What's wrong with the dated sound? I think a vintage throwback is always fun, right? No? <laughs> I don't know. I enjoy it. But, uh, oh, another fun thing. Well, not fun thing, but interesting thing that happened during this time period that I thought I should mention is that Joni had an interesting experience talking about the uh, kind of destruction of culture and how people were getting more and more anarchist in a way or becoming less satisfied. I don't know. All these angry things is that there was an event that went on during the 80s that I'm sure if you're a Joni fan, you're very well aware of, the Amnesty event. Uh, <laughs> and you can already think of where I'm going with this one, where Joni uh, goes on stage in front of this giant crowd. I think there's... Uh, is there, like, over 200,000 people in that crowd? I don't know. It's huge. And it was a event that was for, you know, charity, and all these artists were going on and playing. And this was in 86, I think, so a year after this album came out. And the police, or you two, were supposed to come out, but one of them couldn't come, or there was some complication to where they couldn't make it on stage. And so Joni decided that she was going to go on and did. She threw kind of a three song set together to fill in this gap. And the audience was, hmm, not very pleased that they weren't seeing the police, or you two. They weren't really wanting to see Joni Mitchell. And uh, not only that, but she wasn't singing her hits or whatever, you know, people, people probably would have expected her oh, at this big event with, you know, this amount of people, she's going to sing her old songs, but Joni's never been one to sing her old hits. And so she decided to open with the three great stimulants, which is a song from this album, but acoustic on guitar. And while she's singing the first verse of this song, she sings out of the lyric, no tanks have ever rumbled through these streets and the drone of plane at nights have never frightened me. And all of a sudden someone chucks 
a cup of water with ice in it at her on stage. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but so she's flung with water on stage and it's on camera. You can look it up, um, Joni Mitchell Amnesty. And you can just see that when she sings the final words of the song, which is like the song goes into, oh, these times, brutality in the heart of all mankind. Oh, these changing times. You can see a deep look in her eyes of, I don't know if it's fear, but it's like, such anguish seeing what is happening to the world. And that kind of is a great picture. If you want to know like how you think Joni's feeling on this album, that live performance is a great kind of, you can just see it on her face, how shocked or how kind of saddened she is over what is going on in the world and how, how our culture is turning. And it's, I don't know. I just thought that would be interesting to talk about. Um, And Again, Joni seems to really love this album. I think she thinks that the work on here has been very um, glossed over and kind of pushed aside, but she wishes more people did talk about them. This album also had two music videos. Um, It had music videos for Shiny Toys and Good Friends, which are um, those. Okay, you know what? The music, I would say, isn't too dated, but those are definitely dated. (laughs) Those are a little... A little dated, I would say. Um, But, you know, I guess in this time period of the 80s, we started having MTV and, you know, music videos were kind of becoming the new the new trend. I mean, there's all these things. Commercials were coming more and more trendy. I don't know. You just think about it's just such a time of like materialism and I want I want and like, I don't know. Actually, Joni Mitchell one time talked about how in the 80s, it's it was vogue to be a material girl, quote unquote. This idea of nothing of substance matters. It's all about material. And I was thinking today, um, Joni Mitchell's Twitter account tweeted, happy birthday, Madonna, and had a picture of Joni um, in a group photo with Madonna. And I just thought it was kind of, kind of ironic because I think Joni sees Madonna as a kind of... Uh, amalgamation of this devolution of culture but that's just a little a little thing I noticed I don't know (laughs) so yes uh today's gonna be a long episode I think so let's go into the artwork on this album get it past all that beginning background stuff so the artwork on this album has such an interesting cover a cover I actually really love and it takes one of those doggy dog paintings that she was doing and inserts Um, a photo of Joni in a, what looks like a, I don't know if it's like a wife beater or something. And this like big jacket, this big eighties jacket and her permed curly hair. And she's, she's in, they black and white her photo, but her lips are the stark paint, like painted red and her arms are up and she looks like she's in anguish, almost screaming. She's angry. She's just like, I don't know. That's kind of how I would describe her look on the front of the album cover, but I think it's really cool. I know Joni didn't want to be on the cover. She just wanted it to be the dog paintings, but the studio was like, no, you need to have a picture of yourself. seems to always be like that. She's like, I don't want to be on the cover. And they're like, no, no, you have to be on it. (laughs) We're making you do that. So she's on the cover like that. And I think it's a really graphic and interesting picture. I actually really enjoy it. I don't understand. I've seen people say that this cover is bad too, but I really... I really like it. And I think it has that like black, white and red all over kind of kind of feeling to it. The back cover has a broken down car with some wolves kind of or dogs kind of, I don't know, checking it out, walking around it, kind of observing, I guess, the the crash of society. Maybe maybe that's what it means. Maybe I'm reading too deep into it. I don't know. And then on the inside, there is a really kind of cute photograph of Joni petting two dogs and I don't know if it's supposed to be like cute or like kind of silly but I really like it because she's sitting there petting these dogs because it's like the irony of this dog eat dog like world that Joni's in and she's like gonna pet she's gonna pet these dogs that are willing to kill each other I don't know it's funny and I also really like the metallic pens in the cover they're kind of hard to see if you are looking at it on like Apple Music or wherever you listen to Joni's music the like actual metallic lines but I have the vinyl and you can see it pretty well. Like, you, they shine a little bit better. And it's, I don't know. I really like that graphic quality. I think it's a cool cover. It's very 80s. I mean, obviously, with, like, the outfit and the permed hair and the the way the graphics look, you can tell it, where time period it's from. But I also think it 
is a perfect, um, how would I say, a perfect mirror to the album's music, which is what a really good album cover should be, I think. I think you should be able to look at an album cover and get a sense of what the feeling or the mood is going to be like. And this chaotic, intense, angry kind of look on the cover matches the music perfectly. <laughs> works works ideal, I would say. So yeah, that's all I really have to say about the album cover. And uh, the title, like I said, just refers to that idea of people willing to lie, cheat, skim, scam, beat him any way you can to get ahead, <laughs> to quote the title track itself. But yeah, now let's get into the music of this album because, oh my God, there's so much to say about all of these songs. Um, most of them are pretty intense, I would say. But we have we start on a lighter note with the duet. The first kind of, I mean, I guess You Dream Flat Tires was a little bit of a duet, but this really is like a true, true duet track. And the track is good, good friends. Go, what's good friends, you and me? There we go. I kind of forgot the melody for a second. <laughs> so let's talk about good friends. So this is kind of the only opener I can feel in Joni's music that is as a uh, hmm. Well, not only, but one of her few <laughs> very excitingly happy, nothing kind of sad about it opening tracks. There's no true, there's nothing about politics in this song. This really is the second most apolitical song on this album besides Lucky Girl. I guess they both are pretty anti, well, no, like Lucky Her Girl has some hints of politics, but this song has none. This song is so pure in its kind of feeling and intention. Um... I should say it's a song that she wrote about um, Nathan Joseph, who was a friend of hers. It was kind of a friendship song. I don't really know what made her want to... Do Sorry, my mic cut out, but want to do that. But yes, it was a interesting way to start the album. And um, I love... So I should talk about the music on this album. Specifically, this song is a great start. That we go from wild things they talked about how now we're suddenly in these synths but i think you can notice such a difference in sound because one the new technologies but also Joni is now working with producers more than she ever had before so not only with this track but the whole album she had her larry klein and thomas dolby kind of going back and forth in the production place now they did not get along. Joni and Thomas Dolby did not get along really at all from my, the accounts that I've read. And it seems like she didn't really get along with Larry Klein at this time with, when he was producing either. They were in a good marriage, but I think once Larry tried to or started getting involved more in Joni's music at the production level, it started to make her really angry. <laughs> I was going to say pissed off. I don't know about that. But I think the way that the sound is so different has something to do with this production kind of being more and more people than just her or just Henry Louis kind of working with her as an engineer. And so we start with a song like Good Friends, which is a duet with Michael McDonald that is a synth-based dance pop sort of song. And it starts acapella, you know, it's like, the, I have to come and see you, see you. And all of a sudden these like synchronized voices are echoing. And then there's this killer fucking beat drop where it's like, I have to come see you maybe once or twice a year. Nothing could suit me better right now than some downtown atmosphere. Ba -ba 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 -bow -bow. And the dance halls and the galleries. <laughs> Sorry, I was dancing to myself right there. But it's such a it's such a fun beat drop. And the music is just, again, like I said, it's so different than anything she had done before. And I'm not sure if it's because of the production differences or or what. But you can tell the sound is different. And it's so I love this song. It's so fun. And it's just a song about how great and alike two friends can be. I mean, there's some lines in it that are really funny. Like the, you say you're unscrupulous. You say you're naive. Like, that's like really silly. And it feels, this song is so weird because it feels like Joni's so happy. And like, she's relishing in the intrigue of this friendship that doesn't have nerves of steel or hearts of gold or blame for what you can and can't control. It's just like, this song is so joyful and seems so celebratory and then we get to the rest of the album which is so angry and upset and it's weird kind of the contrast like I guess this song is a good way to break that anger a little bit so we're at least it's not angry the whole time but yeah this is a fun a fun track I like good friends a lot and um it reminds me a lot of a song on like that she could put on chalk mark in a rainstorm I don't know why but 
that also was full of duets. I mean, that's the next album, but it's full of duets. And I was like, yeah, this kind of could be a similar Chalk Mark and a Rainstorm vibe. It's a little more 80s than Chalk Mark is, but yeah, similar, similar in kind of tone. And yeah, it's just such a fun and vibrant song. It's exciting. It has a great beat. It's very fun to dance to. You know, I love dan- dancing to Joni's music and uh, the lyrics are pretty eccentric. I like the music video a lot. It's just like these collages of her and Larry Klein kind of, I don't know. I don't. E- I really don't even know how to describe it. You just have to look it up. It's very 80s, but very fun. And uh, well, fun, uh, cheesy, cheesy. Okay, maybe that's a better way to describe it. And the ending of it is really cool because it just fades out into this constant repetition of good friends, you and me, good friends, good friends, you and me. I just, I, I like it a lot. I mean, these two friends are clearly synchronized like magic. I don't know <laughs> to quote the song itself. It's a good opener. There's not too much to say about it lyrically or anything like that, but it's really fun and it is a good break to the intensity that we're about to come to with Definitely the next few tracks are pretty, pretty heavy. Actually, I would say the next like eight tracks are pretty heavy. It's not, it's not a light ship on this album, but, but yeah, Good Friends is an opener. I really like it and let's start talking about it more and let's dance to it a little bit more. Come on guys. I'm going to kind of start campaigning for that on Twitter. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. I'm guessing nowhere, (laughs) but yeah, so that's Good Friends. Now we will charge politically into the second track on this album, which is simply just entitled Fiction. Take that as you will. (laughs) So I think that one thing that comes with a time that's excessive in materialism and kind of those consumer wants and needs is you get this fictitious lifestyle that starts to become built, people living behind objects and not having actual substance with it. And that seems to be what this song is about. I think Joni is basically saying that the world has become so superficial that life is fiction and it's not even reality anymore. There's excess in everything and substance and nothing, you know, and Joni doesn't know where to go. She opens this song. What should I buy? What should I be? There's so many choices and she just because there's just so much. There's too much for me, she says. <laughs> so much, too much for me because the world is having this economic boom or not the world. America is having this economic boom, but in turn, People are only focused on money and getting new things and going new places rather than focusing on kind of morality and real truths in life, which is what I think Joni has more of a interest in, especially in like everyday interaction. And it seems to her that America is just becoming a place of elusive dreams and vague desires and everything of culture, whether movies or TV is just has become fake and lost any meaning. And you, and you hear that there's also this constant, like trying to decipher what's real and what's fake because before like the chorus, they'll be like fiction. And then all of a sudden there'll be like this low voice that goes truth, fiction, truth, fiction, truth. They're going back and forth, back and forth. And it's just like, you can tell how confused times are becoming. They're becoming so chaotic and out of control. And that's kind of what the music in this song is. It's a chaotic feeling of all these things being thrown at you. It's fast paced. It's, it's rampant. It's kind of, it's just so excessive. And I really like the music on this song. It's not, hmm. It's not that there's not a melody to it. Cause there is a melody, but you're way more focused on what she's talking about in a lot of these songs rather than the music with it. But I think the music with this is, it's not fun, but it's exciting and it's, it works well with the lyrics that are being talked about. Um, I skipped over what part at the beginning I was going to talk about because she does like the, what should I buy? What should I be? And there's this really weird line where she's like, Dr. Lawyer, Indian chief, which is like, I don't really know. (laughs) I don't know if she's talking about like the, uh, what is that band called uh, that did like YMCA? I don't know if that's like kind of like the like doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. Like she's talking about. Like, no, that's not what she's talking. I don't know. But it's just such a weird line. Um, but it's funny. Um, some of the other lyrics that I like in this song kind of have to do where she says like fiction of peacemakers and shit disturbers. <laughs> and then she says like the more you learn, the ne- the less you know. Some follow blind and never know. And then at the end of the song, she does this super cool thing where she goes, fiction of, like, what is it? Fiction of the monument reduced to zero. And then the song fades, like, literally suddenly is like, boop, 
into silence. And it's like reduced to zero and then fades out or like cuts out. It's really cool. I don't know. It's a fun, interesting way to end the song. And I love the way Joni backs herself up vocally on this song. She does like really good like vocalizations with herself. I mean, I don't know if like she, I don't really know how synths work and I don't know if you can like get your voice to become like synthesized in a way. I mean, I guess you probably could. I don't know, but it sounds like that's what she did on this song. And like I said, the music is just very fast paced and it feels like you're caught in the rush of the fictitious world that's kind of happening. And I really don't mind the synths that are happening on the song. I think that the synths are very 80s, but they're enjoyable in my opinion. They're not too overbearing the way some people would have you believe. I think that a lot of the criticism people have on this album isn't even based because they've listened to the album. It's just because they've heard other people talk about this album, which really frustrates me because if you actually listen to what she's talking about in this album and this song and the music, it's really, it's stuff that's deep and has a lot of meaning behind it. And the music is not bad. It's I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm Doggy Dog's number one supporter, apparently. And I was going to say, so I said earlier that all these songs seem to be so relevant today. And this song just seems to be so true because with like social media and this new age of like AI technology or misinformation and fake news, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, I'm not, yeah, not even going to go in there, but uh all that stuff kind of has become, has contributed to our world become even more fictitious than before. I mean, people go on social media and ha- live fake lives or have fake, you know, lifestyles that aren't even real just to portray some image because image is so important. I think in the 80s, image is so important. You know, I think Joni was noticing that, that image is image of how you look and where you sit in society is becoming more important than ever. And that's true today. Now, it's it's that idea of like keeping up with the... The Jeffer is it Jefferson's or the Joneses keeping up with like some social status and building this fictitious life. And that's kind of what this song kind of does. And there's a point in the song where she just starts naming all these things that are becoming fiction. She's like fiction, da 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 fiction, da da da. It's hard. I don't have the full lyrics in front of me, but if you listen, you'll know what I mean. But yeah, I think fiction's a great song. I think it's super, super relevant. And I think that you hate or suck. No, (laughs) it just, it deserves a second chance. How about that? That's what I'll say. Okay. So that is fiction. Let us move to the next track, which is kind of a long track. Um, the three great stimulants. This is totally a track that Joni loves to sing because she sings this at least for the next 15 years. She does it. I've seen her do it in the late nineties. Um, I prefer the acoustic version of the song that she does. She does it I mean, she does an amnesty. Uh, There's multiple other times you can find her doing the acoustic version of it. But I like that one a little bit more because I think that then the words, you can hear the words a little bit better or you can kind of the words sink in a little bit more. But because this version of the album, like this version of the song on the album has kind of these soft synths, 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 no, synths with it that have kind of heavy drums that cut in periodically. And those kind of take up some space that maybe take away from the lyrics, but I don't mind them too much. And this song basically talks about how in our current, or current, I, when I say current, I mean eighties, but like, that's what I'm talking about in Joni's current culture. But I mean, I guess you could say ours too. There's three great stimulants to society, artifice, brutality, and innocence. And, she begins the song kind of talking about recognizing that people don't even realize how lucky we are to live where we are, that we don't have to live in a war zone. We don't have to live in a place with tanks rumbling through the streets or planes at night frightening us. We don't have that yet. We ha- we are all so angry. We are all so uh, greedy, but we have so much more than many other people around the world have. And it's like, why can't we recognize those things. We're too busy recognizing artifice, brutality, and innocence. I don't know. And then, you know, there's parts of the song where she goes into these, like, deep in the night, we're kind of distracted by our own desires that we keep behind closed doors or that we keep, like, locked behind. And then while we're busy self-involved in our own lives, we're not realizing that politicians are kind of sitting back and building bombs and trying to take away free choice, which... 
Hmm. If you live in America now, I think you can uh, see the resonance with that line. Um, but it's true. We have politicians that sit up and do things without our knowledge and are building bombs or sending people to war for no apparent reason to us or we're not told why. I mean, there's just so many... Oh, there's just so many things that are so frustrating and I can see why Joni had to write about this stuff because it's only become worse and worse over the years and it's yeah I'll get off my soapbox for a second um Joni at one point in the song talks about she had a vision of the planet flickering and falling apart and she sees forests tumbling down and everything going to shit and while everything's going to shit businessmen are still bickering and they're not even noticing the world going to shit. They're too caught up in their own business. It's like we're so out of touch that we can't even see the harm we're doing to the world. And gosh, I'm, I feel like I'm like on such a soapbox right now. I'm trying not to be, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want this episode to be like annoyingly political, but I feel like it has to be when talking about this album. Um, I'm not the best spoken politically, so I don't know if my, my points are coming across well. It's just, I get frustrated. Um, yeah, so with the end of this song, I talked about earlier that I love the final part. So the song has this soft synth kind of going through. It's like, it makes this like tickering noise almost like all throughout the song. But then the final kind of, I don't know if you'd call it like a post chorus, I guess, goes into this beat. It kind of beat drops in a way that Good Friends does, where suddenly it's into this like more like upbeat pop kind of sound where she goes, oh, these times, these times, oh, these changing times, changing the hearts of all mankind. And it's just, I really love that lyric for some reason. I don't know why I love that lyric so much. Can someone explain to me? I don't know. I just, I, it's like she's just looking and she's just so disheartened by everything. She's just like, oh my God, how are we at where we're at in society? I don't know. It's just, this song is really impactful for me and I just can't believe how true everything she says on this song are, are today. Literally, like, it hasn't aged at all. Most of the political sentiments on this album haven't aged in my head. I don't know. They just seem to be, if anything, more real. I mean, that madman sit up building bombs and they want to take free choice behind us. I mean, all these things, you're just like, shit. <laughs> Nothing's really changed, has it? The answer is no, not really, sadly. Um, so yeah, the three great stimulants is very interesting. I didn't really talk about the idea of the three great stimulants, like artifice, brutality, and innocence, because I have to be honest, I don't really understand exactly what that means. Like, like I haven't delved into those three words specifically. Like, what is she saying? I guess she's saying society is fake, has artifice, we're brutal because we're dog eat dog and we have a lack of innocence because everything, everyone sees everything, you know, sex sells everything, sex kills. (laughs) call back to our 90s album that's coming up um so i guess that's probably what the three great stimulants reference to but if someone has other ideas about what she's trying to say let me know (laughs) but yes that is the three great stimulants a very a very interesting and kind of it's a it's more of a ballad than really any other other songs on this album it's like a ballad of disheartenment with america i guess (laughs) that's the best way to describe it so yes we go from the soft kind of Intensive, three great stimulants into the angry, the intense, the character-filled song that is tax-free, save me. All that. Is that how? Yeah. Tax-free, save me. I keep forgetting the melodies when I'm trying to sing the title tracks for you guys. Um, so yes, the next song is tax-free, which is basically the song that talks about Joni's frustration with televangelist and the ideas of church and state morphing into one. And to portray that idea even more, she has the um, old Hollywood actor Rod Steiger, who I think was her neighbor or something. And that's how we ended up on the album. But she got Rod to come into the studio and play this character of a preacher, kind of because he had this good voice for preaching. And so there's this voice of a televangelist preacher that underscores Joni's singing and music on the song and it's really cool it's such a cool juxtaposition i mean i can't think of i'm trying to think of a song that also does something like there's really no other because Joni is in a lane of her own i guess but if someone has another example let me know but yes tax free 
is such a good song, in my opinion. I love it so much. It addresses this the ironies of church, of church kind of churches getting this tax-free life. They don't have to pay because you know in America churches don't have religious organizations don't have to pay taxes because you know they're for charity. But as we see so fucking much now, if like I'm sure then it was just as bad, but now it's even worse these churches start trying to influence politics and start getting on the shoulders of politicians and getting in their ears and making politicians put religious beliefs into their in, their ideologies instead of just being pure politics. And so you would think, well, they should be taxed then because they're not just for charity, they're for political gain. But they're not. And so Joni's saying they're... Joni's basically saying this sentiment of like, how can you be tax-free when you're just as political and just as involved in big business as anyone else. And so she talks a lot about this. She she sort of starts the song where it's like talking about how people kind of fall into this idea or being swept into the televangelist lifestyle where it's talking about kind of it's like on TV and it's sort of brainwashing people in a way. And then there's this preacher in the background who starts kind of getting into the people's heads, you know, condemning rock and roll music. And she's saying that these preachers are preaching love like hate. They're calling for large donations and misusing them. And so, and like lying to their congregations, basically. And so then in the chorus, she's just saying, you know, they're immaculate. They're tax-free. You know, they get all these benefits, even though they're not, they shouldn't be tax-free, you know, in her eyes, because if you're truly going to be an organization of charity, then you should not be involved in politics at all. And I think that during the Reagan era, we saw a lot of that. Um, am I going to say that that's happening during the modern era? Hell yeah. If not, it's if not, it's worse right now. But anyways, the second verse <laughs> goes from the point of kind of someone being swept into this ideology and goes into Joni's perspectives. Joni's pissed off. You know, she says that. She says, I'm pissed off, jacked up. Um, she calls it theater of anguish and theater of glory. And then she kind of cuts in. You know how on uh, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, she sings, uh, Oh, say, can you see? For like a second. Well, this song does the kind of a similar thing where it's like, Oh, come let us. And it should be like, adore him. And it said, Oh, come let us adore me. Kind of going into this like, Everyone's so self-indulged, like you're not even, it's not even for, you're not even going to church or donating for this idea of Jesus or God. You're donating for a politician or for yourself, you know what I mean? Or using the money for yourself. And uh, Joni says that when church and state hold hands, you get witch hunts and wars, which I think are so fucking true. And it's just like, oh, the resonance of that is crazy. And so then, one of my favorite Joni Mitchell lyrics of all time comes. So she says, so she's pissed off and there's all this stuff going on. And so then she says, and to quote her, fuck it. Tonight I'm going dancing with the drag queens and the punks. (laughs) Fuck yes. Oh my God, it's so good. Like, and the music just like breaks out. It's just like, she's like, fuck it. Boom. Tonight I'm going dancing. And the rock is like, the guitar is just blaring. It's like, with the drag queens and the punks. Like, talk about an ally right there. She was like, fuck these religious people. I'm going to dance with drag queens and punks and live my life. How can he speak for the Prince of Peace when he's Hawk Wright militant? You know? Ugh, I love that part of the song. This song is just so good. The music of it is amazing. It's like angry and rock and roll. And I love the ending part where it's where it breaks into this post chorus of like tax free. And then the preacher kind of would cuts in and then it does tax free. And then she says, save me. And I, oh, it's, it sounds so like there's something so haunting about it. I don't know. I love it. And it's like, she just like wants to escape. She's so exhausted by this religious freak people. I'm not, this isn't condemning religious people because there's nothing wrong with being religious in any way. It's more, there's something wrong with trying to make your religious ideology forced upon other people or trying to take religious ideology 
and like make money off of people in a like shady way i think that's more kind of my opinion on it and the song ends with basically the rod steiger preacher character kind of he's like i'm preaching love i am but then he talks about saying that marines should invade cuba it's like he's not even talking about jesus anymore he's just talking about politics but to to mask it he's like no i'm preaching love no you're not you're preaching love like hate you're in politicians hands aren't you anyways yes so that is my all these songs sound like rants don't they do i sound like i'm ranting right now i probably do but that's how i feel yeah this i love tax-free it's sad how true it is but yeah tax-free is a is a great song i think y'all should give it a listen if you like to dance and you also like to be pissed off at churches at the moment (laughs) So continuing on with this album, after the intensity of tax-free, we go into a little interlude that we have called Smoking, um, Empty Try Another. And it's a song basically that was filmed um, of an actual machine, like a cigarette machine from the studio lot. Um, I think it's AM where she was recording, maybe? I think that's what it was. And so you hear at the beginning of the song, she's like, nicotine. She's having a nicotine attack and needs to get a cigarette. And so you hear like, empty, empty, try another, try another, like try another machine, I guess. And uh, there's like these little synths and these kind of voices like echoing over her. And it's, I was, when I first listened to this album a long time ago, I guess like two years ago, I really didn't understand what this song was doing on here for i was like why is there this weird interlude like it makes no sense but now i think i understand what she's basically saying is that it's like i think she's referencing the idea of like consumerism and how like quickly we are to throw away things and go to something else like empty okay try another empty try another get something else get something new like kind of just like (laughs) it's all about new get something different something you know on trend i don't know that's kind of what i feel like it's saying like empty try another But uh, it's a cute little, like, a cute little interlude, I would say. And that interludes into the title track of this album, which is Doggy Dog. Doggy Dog. No? Okay, well, (laughs) laughing to myself here. Doggy Dog is the title track of this album, and I actually really do enjoy it. I know there are a lot of haters of this song, and you guys just need to stop and let me enjoy this song for one second. The synths on this are, are, are a little a little, a, a little much, but I enjoy it. I think Joni's vocals sound really good. And actually, the piano version of this song that she does at a... I think it's like a Live Aid concert or something is, she, is really good. I really like it on piano as well. But yeah, Doggy Dog is a song... I guess the title's basically referring to what I said earlier, you know, people willing to do anything to get ahead. And there's, I love just like the constant repetition of this line, doggy dog. Like it just like keeps happening over and over again, just basically reinforcing how doggy dog the world has become. And so something she says, like, she's like, money is the road to justice and power walks it on crooked crooked legs. And the song basically continues on this idea of themes of people in charge being like thieves and sycophants while the ones below have to become slaves to an unhealthy culture, you know, in these games of buy and sell. Uh, I really love the line where she's like, ain't it flim flam man, doggy dog, you can lie, cheat, skim, scam, beat him any way you can. I don't know. It's kind of a fun, the way she sings it is very fun, very jazzy. Um, or when she's like, you can get a, a big wig financier she's doing a lot of weird vocalization work on this song it's not my favorite but it's interesting i mean i like like when she's actually singing it sounds really good when she does these weird like and a big wig lines it's like what are you what is that for but i like it um i love where she says land of snap decisions land of short attention spans like nothing is savored long enough to really understand like no one literally wants to understand or analyze anything it's just go 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 and that's literally so true today i mean literally think about like tiktok like we swipe videos for hours on end but we don't even end up watching the full videos we're just swipe 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 the short like the attention span of a modern person is slim to none and she says you know in every culture and decline the watchful ones are among the slaves and that's it's interesting i'm wondering if she considers herself like a slave to the culture like if she considers herself like a 
a slave to this larger corporate culture that she can't really seem to get away from. I don't know. I'm curious if that's why she says that. Um, and I just really like the ending kind of fade out where it's just like doggy dog. And then there'll be like little lines like people lust in love and nothing doggy dog. It's a, it's a good title track. It's just, it's, it's very, uh, it's very political and kind of just, hits all those buzzwords that she sort of goes on earlier in the album, but I still really enjoy it. I think that it's a fun song or not fun, but it's a good song. And yeah, I mean, there's not too much I think I have to say about it as much as I did for tax free, but <clears throat> it's a good song. It's a good song. I enjoy it. And the next song is another kind of upbeat song, but it's kind of deceivishly upbeat because it is supposed to sort of, I don't know. It's kind of making fun of the 80s consumer culture, I think, in a way. So it's it's upbeat, but it's really a song that's making a mockery of 80s culture. And that song is called Shiny Toys. And it's super upbeat and dancey and has a very interesting video of uh, some shirtless men on a beach, which, you know, I'm not complaining about. I really enjoyed that part. Uh, (laughs) The part of this song. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, basically, this song is just saying that, like, it's like making up with like the keeping up with the every like culture idea and you know everyone's wasting consuming more than they need going out and getting shiny toys you know you just want to go get a new shiny toy even though you already have a toy like why do you need an excess of things you already have you know so it's like i love my porsche or whatever makes you mm mm i love that part mm 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 she's just like <laughs> why is she making those noises i don't know it's really fun though um, but the break in this song that is so fun and I always dance to is the, it's the part where it's like party night, good bands all over town. Mm-mm-mm. That part's really fun. No, anyone else really enjoy that part? Okay. Well I do. So <laughs> I will be the one that likes that part, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun song, but it's obviously making fun of how frivolous people are and what they spend and buy and all that fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's not too much to say about shiny toys, but it's a fun, a fun little pop, but political track. And what's interesting is that, so we have this song about ultra consumer and buying as much as you possibly can and getting a new shiny toy. And then we go with the absolute contrast or the opposite with the next song, which is Ethiopia, which is basically a song about people that don't even have the privilege to have the basic human needs, the basic things like good air, good water, good earth. They don't even have food. You know what I mean? And it's like, we're so self-consumed over here with material goods when there's people on the other side of the world that don't even have water. You know what I mean? It's like the ironies of it. And I think one of the reasons that Joni wrote Ethiopia is because during the 80s, there was this kind of like this this weird, not weird, but this new, like, everyone wanted to be a part of some sort of charitable cause. Like, you think of, like, We Are the World or, uh, gosh, what are some of the other ones? It's like, We Are the World. Joni did uh, the song. It was, like, in for the Canada. It was, like, the Canada We Are the World. And there was all these, like, TV charity events or TV commercials where they would show people from Africa, like, starving. They would literally show, like, mother, mothers and their children that are, like, malnourished on TV and be like, donate, donate to these people that we're using to take up, like that we're filming without their permission. Probably it's like the irony in that. And I think that's why Joni wrote this song. I mean, she says you suffer with such dignity, like a, a TV star with a P with a PR smile calls your baby it while strolling through your tragic trials. I mean, I, that line is so good. Like some TV PR star goes to your country and is like, look how bad it is here. Wow. Look at that. It like she basically like, you know, is calling something like, look at these people. I don't have to worry about them though. Cause I live in America and I don't have to think about this. And it's like, there's such an irony in that. It's cause like, like, why would you go there and show that if you're not going to actually do anything, you know what I mean? Or you can say that you're going to do something, but are you really going to do that? I don't know. And the music of this song I know Wayne Shorter said that this song was all sus chords and it's very, uh, a very complex time signature. I mean, it's very, this song has a very complex musical s- sound to it. Like the, 
the drumming alone, or I guess it's synth drums, are in such a weird rhythmic pattern that I can only imagine it was a challenge to make. I think Joni's talked actually about how challenging it was to make this song, but it's a really, really good song. Um, And some of the lines just are so, like, you can tell this song has a sadness and a, like, uh, what's the word? A sadness and a, uh, hmm. Uh, just, she's very upset about, like, what's going on. She's very depressed over things. So this is less angry and more damaged by thinking about what other people in the world have to go through while we are so wasteful. I mean, there, there's PB, there's people that have no topsoil, yet we spray our topsoil with poison spray and kill it. You know what I mean? And, uh, she talks about, like, the deforestation of rainforests and talks about, how people would rather have money than protect land or other people. And there's this beautiful bridge in the song that like comes up twice where it's like little garden planet oasis in space. Like I love that part. Some hearts hurt. We can hardly stand the waste. Like it's, she's basically saying like there are people that actually care. And I think she considers herself one of them, but like, she's like, I don't think just me caring is enough. We have to have everyone else be a part of the caring too, but people aren't. People are too involved in themselves <laughs> is basically how I would describe it. And it's just, it's it's a very haunting and dark song and uh, kind of about people profiting off charity and making it superficial rather than really caring about the cause. And at the end, there's just this constant repetition of Ethiopia, Ethiopia. And it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's just, it like, it stresses the point even more. Like, kind of remember remember that there are these people that have so much less. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really beautiful, tragic song because it's, I don't know. I think we get so caught up in our day-to-day that we forget that there are people I mean, there are people in our own country that don't even have the basic human needs. You know what I mean? And it's like we don't even realize that because we're too busy thinking about, like, the new car or the new phone or the new app that we want to get. You know what I mean? It's like so much – there's so much we forget about in our little – behind our little gates, I guess, is kind of what what she's talking about. But, yeah, I love Ethiopia. It's a great song. Um, And the final two tracks on this album are more – soft and kind of I don't know if they're introspective but they're like softer vibes the synths on them are a lot softer they're a lot more light in a way but they're still very beautiful um the next song is impossible dreamer and this song is basically like I don't really know who or what the impossible dream is but it's something that Joni can't seem to get she sees these things and it makes her think of this impossible dream that she's She's like, that's impossible to... I guess the impossible dream is some sort of utopia or thing that she wants to have happen. Maybe the end of human suffering, end of being in the 80s. I don't know. And it's like Joni sees things that are bright that make her think, you know, that the impossible dream could happen, like a bright moon. But then she sees dark things like angry crowds that remind her of the impossible dream. It's like all these things echo back to this concept of this dream that she's never going to be able to have or see. Excuse me. It's like this idea of like getting back to the garden in a way. Like, why can't we get back to this idea of peace? (laughs) She actually says, give peace a chance. Don't think, just dance. Anyone else like that line? No, just me. Okay. Well, I like that line. And it's like this song just, I don't know. It makes me question why we can't we find this idea of like peace or clarity in the intense world that we live in. It's like, all these things happening and it's, ugh, I don't know. But Joni's voice on this song is beautiful. When she goes into the low of the low notes, when she's like, impossible, impossible dreamer. Like she goes down to this really low voice, which is really pretty. I like when Joni goes low and her singing. And also there's a the piano version of this song as well. It's really pretty. Like look up the Dog Eat Dog acoustic sessions and you'll find some of the acoustic versions of these songs are really pretty, including this one. I really like this version. Um, but yeah, Impossible Dreamer kind of just trying, like why can't we reach this impossible dream? We're so caught up with everything else. I don't know. That's sort of what I think it's about, but it's a hard song to read in my opinion. Like there's things about it that I'm not 100% sure I'm understanding correctly, but 
yeah, Impossible Dreamer, a song that I really, really enjoy. I'm not giving it as much credit as I actually like it because I really do love this song so much, but uh, there's just not too much for me to say about it, I guess. But now I guess we can go on to the also sort of soft closer that seems like it could have fit perfectly on Wild Things or on Chalk Mark in a Rainstorm, but for some reason it's put on the end of here. Well, I know why, but it's put on here and it's called Lucky Girl. So basically what I think Lucky Girl is about, because, you know, this is all about what I think, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I think that this album closes with this song because basically every other track talks about all these horrible things going on in the world, these horrible political things going on and how bad the world is for so many people. And I think this song ends with an acknowledgement that no matter how bad it is for everyone else, Joni realizes that she is a lucky one because she has some of the basic human needs, including love. And she's like, I've been on a mission around the world, like chasing the rainbows in. And she's found it with Larry, I guess is who she's saying. But it's like, she's, she is found, she's very lucky. And this turbulent time, she is very lucky compared to many other people. And that's kind of a sweet way to end this album. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's a, it starts on a happy note and it ends on sort of a, bittersweet note I guess because there is still all these horrible things going on in the world but to recognize one's luck in life is I think important and she and the music is very light and Joni sings in a very light way like her voice goes very high on some of the parts in the song where she's like I've been I've been all around the world or uh vanished from the Star Wars bars like she gets like these little high notes which are cute also the uh the uh what is it the sax on this song is so good it's Wayne Shorter obviously but he does such a great sax on this song that's really that's really interesting and some of the lyrics on this song are a little confusing she says vanished from the Star Wars bars yeah I don't know what that's about no idea could not tell you um (laughs) she talks about cheaters woman beaters she's been through them all she's been through cheaters woman beaters wise guys booby prize guys <laughs> who are who what is a booby prize guy i don't know but she's been through it apparently um and Joni's basically saying that with all this she's found someone that loves her and she's found at least something good that can take her mind off the world so dark around her and it fades so beautifully you just hear her going like mm, i'm a lucky girl like she's doing all like this beautiful light fade that Again, this song could work really on any other album of the 80s, but it's a it's a beautiful way to end this album because you kind of need a happy break or some sort of happy ending because this album is just so angry. It's like you kind of hope that there's some happiness or hope at the end. And I guess Joni's saying that her love that she has found is the the one happiness that she can find during this time. I guess, (laughs) question mark. I think that's what she's saying, but who knows? So that is the final song on Dog Eat Dog. And I will now go into my final thoughts and ratings of this album. And I think it will really dishearten you guys to know that I did give this album. And I know that I'm not the toughest rater. I tend to give everything a pretty high score. But just to piss y'all off, I did give this album a 9 out of 10 rating. I'm ready for the hate but I don't care because I like the synth sound. I think it sounded good. I think Joni's voice sounded good on this album. And I also think that the lyrics were super, uh, they had such a foreseeing quality to them because they literally are so relevant today. And I think people just didn't appreciate, this is an underappreciated album. That's what I'll say. This album is underappreciated and it gets a nine out of 10. And I am, Not going to listen to the haters who wanted me to not rate this album high at all. Because guess what? I like it. Okay. (laughs) So, my favorite song on this album. It's kind of a toss-up between Tax Free or Impossible Dreamer. I'm not really sure. Maybe Tax Free. Because I just, oh, I love that song so much. But, yeah, those two are really my favorite. My least favorite? Hmm. I guess probably Fiction. Because I can't really pull a lot out of fiction, but it's either that or Lucky Girl. Those two are kind of like the ones that seem to kind of slide out of my consciousness. Like I kind of tune out a little bit when they play. Uh, I didn't include Smoke and Empty Try Another because that's more of an interlude, not really a song. But uh, yeah, 
So that is Doggy Dog. Whew. A very sorry for how long today's episode was, but I think it's important to kind of analyze and talk about all the stuff that was going on at this time and Joni's life and the music and there's just so many things that kind of go into this album. It's almost like this album has like a a mis- not mysterious. What is it? Like when something has like a reputation, there's like a reputation behind this album that's important to talk about. Joni was in her reputation era, I guess. Um, but yes. I think that this is a great album. I really, truly recommend you re-listen to Doggy Dog and give it another chance. The chance that you, I'm speaking to the metaphorical you, to the you audience, give it a chance that you hadn't given it before and really listen to the lyrics because there's so much that I didn't even get into that's there to unpack that is just so relevant and so good. So yeah, that's kind of, that's my thoughts on Doggy Dog. I'm sure gonna be, I'm going to, re-listen to this later and be like shit I should have talked about that political thing but you know I saved some of my soapbox for for myself but yes thank you all so much for listening uh next week we have chalk mark and a rainstorm our next episode and I'm so excited to do chalk mark and a rainstorm it's actually it's becoming one of my favorite Joni albums like in her later career like chalk mark is so good in my opinion so we'll kind of we'll get into that next next episode but yeah Thank you all so much for listening, and uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on Doggy Dog, and I will see you next time on Chalkmark in a Rainstorm. Yes!